Well, let's pray as we come to God's word this morning and, and start to see what God wants to say to us through, through the scriptures. Lord, I really need help today. Lord, my, I've been sick. My mind is unfocused, Lord. But we know that when we're weak, you are strong. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning you would powerfully move through what we're going to be learning from your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me and that you would make this passage of Scripture so real in our congregation it would change us forever. I pray, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, I was working on my sermon the other night and I was searching for an opening illustration that would really go well for, my, for the sermon that I'm going to be doing today. And as I was preparing the sermon, I was also watching television and I was flicking through the channels. And in Australia now we have digital channels, which means we have all these other channels. And as I was flicking through, I came across Channel 11. And in Channel 11, it was playing this old TV show that I didn't really like the TV show so much, but I loved the opening song. Now, I want, I want to play you the opening song this morning. So, have we got it there, Tim? All right, we're going to play it. Don't freak out or get mad. Here it is. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. The troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Who here loves that song? Come on, put up your hand if you love that song. All right. Half of you won't admit it, but I know you do. Because the thing about that song is not only is it a cool, you know, 80s song, which is great, it also captures something that each one of us, something that each, in each one of our hearts, something that we really crave for. We really are craving after a community, aren't we? Where everyone will know our name. Where people will be glad that we came. Where people are all the same. Isn't that the type of community that we are craving to be a part of? A community where people know our name. People are glad that we came. Where people are treated all the same. That's the type of community that we're craving to be a part of. But according to that show, where is that type of community found? In a bar? Or in the Australian equivalent, a pub. If you ask the average man on the street, where would you find that community? I think the last answer that they would say would be in a church. And yet, do you know what? I really believe that that is the type of community that Jesus wants to establish. A community where people are known by name. Where people, we value people, we're glad that they came, where where everybody's considered the same. 
That's the type of community I believe that Jesus wants to bring. And that's the type of community I think Jesus wants OBC to become. So how do we become that type of place? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at in James chapter 2 as we come into James chapter 2. As, as Aaron's shared, we are studying the book of James and we're looking at a series called Nine Tests of Real Faith. And uh, you have in your bulletin some notes. So you have a, a little notes in there and you can get those notes out and fill them in as you go along. Also on the back of those notes are some family and personal devotions. We are doing this as a family. Tegan and I are doing this with our kids and there's memory verses. Every two weeks we give you a new memory verse so your family can learn memory verses and can grow together as well. So blokes, make sure you, uh, you take that opportunity to really lead your family well. If you're an individual, that's okay. You can also do these devotions and also learn the memory verses as well so that we are changed by the book of James as we, as we study it. But today we're going to be studying James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. And we're going to see something that will destroy that type of community. We're going to see how that type of community is built. And I'm going to give you a practical application. So let's have a look now at how to develop a community where everybody knows your name, where everybody's glad you came, where people are treated all the same. Well, the first thing that James says is he says that favoritism destroys fellowship. Favoritism destroys fellowship. Look down in verse 1. James says this. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The word there, partiality, is, uh, it's translated in the NIV as favoritism. It is a Greek word which means literally to receive the face. It means to just judge people by external appearances, by just to look at their face, their external things, and make a judgment about them. That's what that word literally means. Now, of course, when you think about receiving the face or you think about favoritism or partiality, probably... The most um, graphic example of that is racism, isn't it? In, the, in America, uh, in the uh, 1800s, they had a civil war. And after the civil war, there was emancipation proclamation. There was a proclamation made throughout all the land that all the Africans were all free and that, that they were free citizens. However, it took about 100 years for that emancipation proclamation to make its way throughout all society. You know, during that 100 years, if you were an African-American, you couldn't go into certain restaurants because of the color of your skin. You couldn't even go into certain toilets because of the color of your skin. And sadly, you couldn't go into certain churches because of the color of your skin. When I was at seminary, one of our seminary professors told us this story about an African student who'd come to seminary from Africa to study. And on Sunday, he decided to go to church so he went into a, a white, like, like a local big mega church. And as he walked in the door, the greeter looked at him and received the face, looked him up and down and said, uh, I'm not sure that this is the place you're looking for. I think the place you're looking for is over the road. The African student peered into the place. He looked around and sure enough, everyone in that building was white. When he walked across the road, he walked into the other building, he looked around, everyone was black. Racism 
is probably the most graphic example of receiving the face, of showing favoritism, of judging people by external things. Now, we wouldn't do that, would we? We wouldn't judge people by external things. You know, one of the things I love about James is James was a pastor. <laughs> he was a preacher, right? And, and now that I'm a pastor, I, when I read the book of James, there are things in there that I'm like, nothing has changed in congregations in like 2,000 years. Like, James, you're reading, you must be reading the mail that I get, all right? And James gives us a very practical example from his congregation of how favoritism, receiving the face, judging people by externals, can destroy the fellowship. And he outlines that in verses 2 to 4. Just have a look at that in verses 2 to 4. That's what he says. He says, For if a man wearing a gold ring... Now, a gold ring was often worn by members of the Roman equestrian class. So they were the upper class. So if a man wearing a gold ring comes into the, to, into the fellowship, and look at what it says, and... Uh, wearing fine clothing. Now, the word fine clothing there is the word lampros. It means shining clothing. So you get the idea. Here's this man who walks in. He's got a gold ring. He's part of the Roman upper class. He's got these shining clothes come in. Now, if that type of man comes into the church, into the assembly, and look what he says. And also, a poor man in shabby clothes comes in. Now, the poor man there, the word poor, means literally destitute. Okay, so we've got... This destitute beggar walks in. And uh, it says he has uh, poor clothing or shabby clothing. This is the Greek word rablos, which means rags. You know? you, so you can, can you picture what's going on here? We have these two men enter in. One who is, is fully bright, shining clothing, gold ring, member of the upper class, and everyone's head turns to look to him. And then you have a destitute man comes in. And then what happens? Verse 3, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say to him, you sit over here, oh yeah, we, we like you, you sit over here, while you say to the poor man, uh, yeah, you just sit over there, we have a place for you, or you sit at his feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Can you see this happening? I can really see this happening in a church context. This is a real situation, isn't it? Here comes two people walk into church. Everyone's heads turn. They size them up. A rich man and a poor man. And what James says is that if you do that, if you judge them on externals, you have then brought distinctions into the fellowship. You see, the fundamental thing about the church that Jesus wants to build is a church where there is neither slave nor free. Where there is neither rich nor poor. Where there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Where there is neither circumcised nor uncircumcised. The church that Jesus wants to build has Jesus at the center where Christ is all and he's in all. This is the type of church that Jesus wants to build. And favoritism. Judging people by externals and then making decisions upon where they fit, it destroys that dynamic. It destroys the fellowship, the koinonia, the dynamic that's supposed to be about the Christian church. 
It's supposed to be a place where everybody knows your name. Where every person, regardless of age, race, money, is valued. And we're glad you came. It's supposed to be a place where we all realize we're just the same. We're all just the same. That's the type of church that Jesus wants to build. And favoritism, receiving the face, judging people by externals, it destroys that. It destroys that dynamic. You know, I've told you many times about my experience growing up. I had a father who was uh, a farmer, but when he was about 30, he got switched on to evangelism, really into evangelism, and he came back. He went to, went to Sydney and did an evangelism explosion course, came back, started knocking on doors all around uh, our area, and lo and behold, these people became Christians. And one man in particular, I remember, his name was Mr. Ray McCann. And Mr. Ray McCann, my dad discipled him, and after a while, um, my dad um, decided it was time for him to start to come to church. So he invited him to come with our family along to church. The church we went to was about half an hour's drive away. And uh, I know the people in that church were sincere. They loved God. They, they wanted to serve God. They wanted to honor God. But yet, you know, in that church, a little bit of legalism had crept in. If you really were going to be accepted at that church, you needed to wear a suit. And if you're a woman, you needed to wear a hat. And you needed to look a certain way. And Mr. Ray McCann, he, when we picked him up for church, he was just an Aussie bloke. He had stubbies and a T-shirt on. And he was getting rid of his fag. Was having it before the service. So, you know, he was respectful, right? He wasn't going to have it in the service. We picked him up. We took him to the church service. And now they didn't, didn't say anything to him, but they didn't have to. They sized him up. They looked at him. They had a place for him. He could sit over there. But he knew he was not really a part of it. And on the way home, he said, Garnet, if that's the church, then I don't want to have anything to do with it. That's what church is about. You have to have certain external things together so that you are accepted. And I don't want to have anything to do with that. You know, and the sad thing was, is these people were absolutely blind to it. They were really blind to that. I mean, they thought that they were preaching the gospel, they sincerely loved Jesus, and yet they were blind to the fact that there was cliques and favoritism in their fellowship, and it was preventing the gospel from going forth to people who desperately needed it. Oakton Baptist Church, are we blind? Are we blind? Are there certain types of people that we will accept? And when they come in the church and we all turn to look at them and we size them up and we say, yes, we want you in our home group. Oh man, you'd make my home group look good. But other people, when they come in, oh, I'm not so sure. We've got a place for you. You can be in Pastor Paul's home group. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm sure Pastor Paul has a great home group. So if you're in his home group, don't feel like anything, all right? But is that what we are like? You know, I guess the only way to tell would be to interview people who've left this church and ask them, why'd you leave? Did you leave because of favoritism? Because you felt judged by an external criteria. See, favoritism 
will destroy the fellowship that God is wanting to bring. He's wanting to bring a place that people can't explain. They can't explain how people who are rich and poor fellowship together, who people from different cultures come together in worship of the great God, people from CEOs and people who are tradesmen and people who are unemployed all can come together and worship the great God and celebrate together. They can't explain that because that is what Christ does. He builds a church that's very diverse where he is the thing that binds people together. So how do we become that type of church? Well, James goes on to tell us. My second point today is this. Is while favoritism destroys fellowship, the gospel produces mercy. The gospel produces mercy. Now you might say, Timon, it's not such a big a deal. This favoritism, it's just a very light sin. It's not such a big deal. We'll look over in verse 8. James says this. In verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. You see, the greatest law, Jesus summarized the whole law and the prophets, and he says it comes down to two things. Firstly, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. And favoritism, receiving the face, judging people by external appearances, isn't loving people as you love yourself. You don't want to be judged like that, do you? You don't want to be judged by your external appearance, do you? Well, you might say, yeah, but it's not that big a sin. It's only a small sin. It's only like a tiny sin. Look at what James says. Verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. Verse 11, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. He pulls out the biggest guns there is, murder and adultery, and says, if you just break one part of the law, you've broken the whole law. It is serious in the eyes of God. It is a serious offense in the eyes of God to judge people by externals. Now, you might object and you might say, yeah, Timon, but that's the way the world works. That's the way the world works. And that's true, isn't it? That is the way the world works. The way the world works is that the world says externally there are some criteria which make you worth something as a person. Particularly in our culture, it's criteria like if you're rich, if you're good-looking as a woman, then you're worth something. If you have a good, pleasant, uh, humorous personality that can entertain a group socially, then you're worth something as a person. Uh, If you have a position of influence or power, then you're worth something. And the world says that if you have that external criteria, if you have that there's external things in place, then you are worth something as a person. That's the way the world works, isn't it? I mean, who here has been to high school? All right. Now, there's this universal thing in high school that that's the way high school works, right? There's an external criteria of what makes you in and what makes you out. I experienced this at a very young age. I'll never forget an experience I had in year seven, right? 
I grew up in the bush, in the country, in rural Queensland. And I went to this little school called Torben Lee, and there were 60 of us at the school. There were six other boys in my class in year seven at Torben Lee. And uh, <laughs> what we used to think was cool, the external criteria for being cool in, that, in year seven at Torben Lee was wearing an Akubra hat to school. You know, most of you don't know what an Akubra hat is. It's a cowboy hat, all right? If you wore a cowboy hat, then you were cool. Now, there was one day in the year, in year seven, where you would go on a field trip, an orientation day, into the big school, into uh, Harvey Bay High School, to get orientated to the high school. And so I look forward with anticipation to this day to go along and experience this big high school, because our school was 60 people, the high school was like 300 people. Wow, it was massive, you know. And so anyway, so the day came, and I got on the bus, and I was wearing my Akubra, and I looked around, and interestingly enough, none of the other boys were wearing their Akubras. Hmm. I thought, they're going to be out of it, aren't they? <laughs> they're not wearing their Akubras. I think their brothers and sisters had told them something that my brother had refused to tell me. <laughs> the whole day, the whole day, I was just paid out to the max. Hey, cowboy, cowboy, how you going, cowboy? Give us a yee-haw, cowboy. What are you doing, cowboy? Where's your golden steer, cowboy? It was all like this the whole day long. You know, I was, there was like everyone else on the totem pole, and then there was cowboy boy down the bottom of the 300 people that went to that school. I was the lowest of the low. I never felt more alienated in my life. Well, there's a couple of things that came out of that. From that point on, I never wore a cowboy hat again. <laughs> Even when mustering on the farm, I made sure I, re I wore a rip curl hat because I just did not want to be associated as cowboy boy. And I remember also when I went into year eight, one of my friends, he sort of came to me and he said, now, Timon, you look a lot like that kid last year who wore the cowboy hat. I said, no, no, that wasn't me. No, no. That must have been someone else. That was not me. <laughs> but isn't that the way the world works? It sets up an external criteria. And if you have that external criteria, then you're worth something. Then you're valued. And what tends to happen is we bring that into the church. And maybe that's what was happening in James's time is... See, if we have these rich people coming in, this, this Roman class person who has fine clothing, then, you know, we have what the world values and maybe more people will come to our church because we have what the world values. And church leaders, you know, I'll go to conferences and they'll tell us that's how you build a great church, right? Timon, look after all the rich people in your congregation. If you look after all the rich people, then the offering will never be a problem and then also, you know, you get other rich people because that's what the world values. And so because that's what the world values, they'll want to come to your church. Or here's another one. Get all the good looking young people on the door of the church so that when, they, when people come into the church, they'll see this is a church of good looking people and I want to be here because that's what the world values. James tells us that that is not the way God works. That's not the way he builds his church. Have a look. In verse 5, James says, listen. Turn to the person next to you and say, listen up. 
Listen up. This is the way that God works, all right? Listen. My beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? The word poor in the Bible refers to someone who sees themselves as having no resources in and of themselves. Typically, that can refer to poor people economically, but it doesn't have to. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who see that they have nothing in and of themselves to offer, who are, as James says, poor in the world. You see, the way that the church works is not that we try and value external things and, and create a success club where all of us have all these external things, great things, so other people will want to come to our success club. You know the way the church works? The way the church works is like this. If you here have nothing that the world values, if you here don't have anything that the world values, if you are poor, then you can come to Christ and he will give you everything. He will make you rich in faith. That's the way the church works. is by giving up those external things and realizing that you have poverty in your spirit and accepting by grace the gift of a new identity from Christ himself. That's the way the church works. The way the church moves forward is by the testimony of people who are broken and put back together by the grace of Christ. And what greater trophies of grace are there than poor people who say, I had nothing, I had nothing in and of myself, I had nothing externally that the world valued, but I came to Jesus and he values me and now my identity is found in him and in him alone. So I want you to know if you're here today and you're broken and no one else values you, Christ values you, and we value you. And if you turn to him, even though you might be poor in spirit, he will give you a rich inheritance in his kingdom. <laughs> That's the way the church works. It's not the way the world works. You see, what is it that will produce the type of dynamic fellowship where everyone will know your name and where everyone will be glad you came and where everyone will be treated all the same, it will be when we embrace the gospel as our core thing that's the core of our identity. When we reject those external things as being the things that give us value and accept that our value is based on Christ and his cross alone. Look over in verse 12, or verse 12, as James sums this up, he says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. The law of liberty is the gospel. So James is saying you need to speak and act in light of the fact 
of the gospel. The great news is, is that Jesus, when he saw you, he didn't judge you by externals. He didn't say, here's the rich and sit over there, you poor person. He came and he died for all of us because he valued us. And he had mercy on us. Mercy means getting what you do not deserve. You didn't deserve the love of God. You didn't deserve the grace of God. You didn't deserve the forgiveness of God. But God had mercy on you. Now, look down in your Bibles. There's a very interesting phrase that, that James backs this up with, which was, has confused me for many years because you'll see as we, as we read it. In verse 13, James says this, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Does that cause a problem for anyone as you read that? (laughs) It seems to be suggesting that you will be judged if you don't show mercy. Now, Jesus said a very other surprising thing in the Gospels. He said this. He said, in the Gospels, he said, forgive, unless you forgive, you won't be forgiven. I thought that forgiveness and salvation came by faith in Christ alone. And here, James and Jesus, and James is the brother of Jesus, so they probably spent a lot of time together, you know, seem to be suggesting that mercy and forgiveness, what, what's, what's going on here? Well, it's like this. If you take an apple seed and you put it out in the soil, it'll produce an apple tree. And what will, what, what's the fruit that will come off an apple tree? Apples, right? Take an orange seed and you make an, an orange tree. What will come off the orange tree? Oranges. My wife, she used to think there was a watermelon tree. That if you took a watermelon seed and you planted it in the ground, <laughs> then it would grow a watermelon tree. <laughs> Who else believes that? They actually grow along the ground. <laughs> Which was quite funny. When she started dating me when we were 15, I was a watermelon farmer. And she said, how's your watermelon trees going? I'm like, that's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to give you an education. <laughs> you see... Out of the root produces that fruit. And the root of the gospel is forgiveness and mercy. And once the gospel has taken root in your heart, what will come out of your heart is mercy and forgiveness towards others. And as he says at the end of verse 13, mercy will triumph over judgment. When we become a place that gives people what they do not deserve, this place will become a place where there isn't any judgmentalism. Mercy will triumph over judgment. And isn't that the type of place we want to become? So, how do we become a place where everybody knows your name, where they're always glad you came, where people are treated all the same? We need to embrace the gospel as the center and core of our identity and reject the external things of the world as being our identity markers. And when we do that, out of our hearts will flow mercy, giving to people what they don't deserve. You know, newcomers, they don't deserve to be greeted. Who here feels like that? Jolly newcomers, they're new on the block, they come to our church, we've been in this church. They take our seats, Ian. You know, I have sat in that seat up the back for the last 20 years and they've taken it off me. They take our seats. We built this place. 
We gave the offering and they're Johnny come lately on the block. They don't deserve it. You don't deserve salvation. Everything you have, you didn't get by your own effort. It was given to you by grace. So I don't want to hear any of that rubbish about your own self-centered needs. It's rubbish. It's not scriptural. It's not in line with the gospel. Can you see how passionate I am about that? That's rubbish, all right? Why don't they do it for me? Why don't they do it for me? You need to become a person of mercy. You need to grow past that. If you haven't grown past that, you haven't understood the gospel, my friend. Go and do a course with Brian, How People Grow, so that you can understand the gospel and get the weeds out of your life that are preventing you from being an other-centered person rather than a self-centered person. I don't care what your age is. Maybe maybe you're still just a self-centered, all-about-me type of Christian. Time to stop that. All right? So here's the third point for today. All right? Here's the application. We're going to make this live. And I've forgotten it, so I'll just look at my notes. I told you I was weak today. (laughs) Let me just have a drink of water too. I've lost my outline. Oh, here it is. Demonstrate mercy on your outline by welcoming others. By welcoming others. We have a welcome team in this church headed up by Pastor Aaron. We have six people on the door every Sunday welcoming people. But that's not enough. If we're going to become a church that truly is like the church that Jesus says, then what we need to do is we need to all become welcoming people giving people what they don't deserve, welcoming them into this family. So what I want to do after today's service, it's a very practical thing. For the first five minutes after today's service, I want you to find someone who you don't know. All right? Find someone who you don't know and ask them their name. All right? And try to remember their name. Hey, hey, you know, names are important. That's why when I first came here, I'm, I'm not great with names, but I decided that I was going to learn your names. And a lot of them I've got down. Some of them I forget, but a lot of them I've got down. When I was over in Dallas, right, I was, I was coaching, I was involved in my, my daughter Hannah's soccer team, and um, I came along to the soccer, the soccer match, and there was another father there, and I came up to him and I said, how are you going? And he said, great. I said, my name's Timon. He said, don't bother about telling me your name. I won't remember it. I was like, oh, okay, uh, my name's Timon. I thought he was joking, so I just sort of, <laughs> my name's Timon. He said, no, I won't remember it. Don't bother telling me your name. Basically, he was saying, you're not worth the effort for me to actually even hear your name. So meet someone, learn their name. A good little trick that I use is repeat their name a number of times in the conversation, and then you'll remember it. Hey, Steve, how you going? Steve, good to see you, Steve. <laughs> All right. What are you doing today, Steve? That's great, Steve. <laughs> Just keep on going like that. It'll re- That's how I learned Steve Rose's name, all right? Do that over and over again, all right? You'll learn people's name. Then say to them, we are so glad that you came. So glad that you came. This is the place for you to be. This is the place for you to belong. This is the church where you can find the gospel of Jesus Christ, where you can find freedom, healing, forgiveness, no matter what. 
you know, Pastor Paul told me a sad reality is that a lot of us Australian folk have never really greeted and don't really know the other international folk in our church. What's going on there? All right, there are beautiful people who come from all different parts of the world that come to our church and let's become embracing. Young people, go over and meet some of the older people. They're not that scary. In fact, they're very beautiful, all right? Go and meet them and greet them and welcome them and encourage them. Older people, do the same for the younger people. Let's become a church that's really centered around the dynamic of the gospel. Where everybody knows each other's name. Where you're always glad that they came. All right, let's pray, shall we? Father, we just thank you for uh, the word this morning and we thank you for the way it challenges us very practically to become a church that embraces this dynamic. Because as the first verse of that passage says, do not hold partiality. The faith in the glorious Lord Jesus does not, does not sit with favoritism, with judging people externally and therefore putting them into little boxes. So Lord, would you help our fellowship to become one that's truly based and built around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.